the book of Matthew chapter 4, Mark chapter 1, and Luke chapter 4. Uh, we're looking at, continuing to look at the life of Christ uh, through the harmony of the Gospels uh, as we look at the story of Jesus. We find very distinct elements in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so this morning, last week we talked about the baptism of Christ. We talked about how uh, He was baptized, identified with the ministry of John, identified with us as sinners, even though He Himself, without sin, He humbled Himself, uh, and God demonstrated His pleasure in Christ's obedience. Today we're going to look at that which immediately followed the baptism of Jesus, and that's the, the temptation of Christ. So Matthew chapter 4. Mark chapter 1 and then Luke chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted for 40 days, 40 nights, he then became hungry. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said to him, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The devil then took him into the holy city, and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give His angels charge concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And said to him, All of these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and shall serve him only. Verse 11, The devil left. And behold, angels came and began ministering to him. Flip over to Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days and being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild beasts and angels were ministering to him. Flip over to the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led out by the Spirit into the wilderness, for forty days being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he then led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all of this domain and this glory. For it has been handed over to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. And therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. And he led him into Jerusalem, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you, to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's pray. God, as we see the temptations of Christ, well, may we be encouraged. May we be encouraged that if our Lord 
was tempted, Lord, so too will we be tempted. But through the Holy Spirit, through Your power, may we be able to resist temptation. May we be able to persevere through the trials for the glory of God. Lord, we thank You for the example of Christ. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. Temptations, trials, hardship are very much a part of the human experience. You cannot go very long in this life without experiencing some type of hardship, trial, temptation, difficulty. If you do, then, then you're living in, in some world that is, that is somewhat different than reality. I, I used to love the, the Walgreens commercials uh, that, that would talk about perfect. And, and they, would, they would have you know, this, this great utopian idea. And at the end it says, but we don't live anywhere near perfect. And because we don't live anywhere near perfect, there's Walgreens. Uh, it, it, it was a great marketing strategy. And the reality is, is that we don't live anywhere near perfect. Uh, we, we, we watch these television programs and, and these movies and, and we, we get this, this idea fed to us of what our lives ought to be like and, and how our homes ought to run and how, our, uh, how our, our jobs ought to go. But in reality, it goes nothing like that. Uh, we, we come home from work and, and there's, there's, there's clothes that need to be washed, there's dinner that needs to be cooked, there's children that needs to be bathed, there's homework that needs to be done. And, and within, within a three to four hour period, uh, you, have, you have yelled, screamed, thrown, cussed, hollered, uh, kicked all your children out, locked the doors. Uh, it's been a, 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 a battle in your home. And then you sit down and you have family devotion and you all pray together. <laughs> And, and, and we think, oh, well, 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 we'll pray and we'll ask God's forgiveness and everything will be wonderful. And, and the reality is, is, is that's the world we live in. We live in a world that is inundated with temptation, trial. You, you can't, it's gotten to the point where, where you can't watch television unless it's on the Disney Channel or Nickelodeon with your children in the room. It's gotten to the point where where you you can't browse the, the the internet without being inundated with these with these advertisements that are that are lewd and shrewd and and filled with with all kinds of filth. The world that we live in is increasingly wicked. But the scripture encourages us that Jesus was fully man. Yes, He was God incarnate. The Scripture says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father. He was God incarnate. But this account reminds us that while He was deity, He was fully human. And He was, he was 100% engulfed in the human experience. And with that comes temptation. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 reminds us that we do not have a high priest who we can't identify with, but rather we have a high priest who we can identify with, who has been tempted in every way that that we are. And so church, let me encourage you. When you are having your pity party, when you are, when you are, are saying, woe is me, I'm going to go 
of worms. Whenever, whenever nothing is going your way, whenever, whenever you are grieved and you are, are despondent, we have a high priest, we have a Christ, a Messiah, a Lord, who has felt that exact same way. He has, he has been overcome with the human emotions, the rejection, the embarrassment, the shame that you are. He has been, he has experienced grief. One of my favorite verses in all of the New Testament is the shortest verse in all of the New Testament. John chapter 11, verse 35. The scripture tells us Jesus wept. You say, well, so? That to me encapsulates the humanity of Jesus. He knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, and yet he cried because his friend was dead. He mourned. He grieved. The scripture says in Isaiah chapter 53 that Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Throughout scripture, throughout scripture, we see Jesus encountered with every aspect of humanity. I want to point out a couple of things. If you look at all three accounts, if you go back to Matthew chapter 4, Verse 1, it says Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. If you look at Mark's account, it says he was impelled by the Spirit to go into the wilderness. If you look at Luke's account, it says that he arose, um, I'm sorry, it says in Jesus, verse four, chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led about by the Spirit into the wilderness. In all three accounts, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Why? I believe because trials, hardships, and temptations are tools by which God uses to sharpen and refine us for His purpose. The month of November, we signed Daniel up for a baseball camp. Signed him up at Struma, uh, uh, ML Woodruff, uh, who has won like 150 state championships with Parkview, is, is now working uh, with the Struma during their, their recreational uh, ministry. And he's a fantastic, uh, fantastic coach, uh, a man of God who loves the Lord, uh, loves teaching children. And so uh, we signed Daniel up, and then, and then I went just, just to watch. Uh, I wanted to see... I wanted to, 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 to watch this, this coach who, who had been so successful. What, what does he do? The very first time they scrimmaged, they, they had been working on fundamentals, they had been practicing and been teaching them the right way to throw, the right way to catch, the right way to hit. And then they got together and they were, they were scrimmaging. And so he had all the kids in, in, in the field and he had half of them in the bat, uh, batting. And, and he set up his, his pitching screen about, about 20 feet from home plate. And he marched the kids up. He goes, all right, you get one pitch. You get one pitch, you either get it or you're out. And, and if it's foul, you're out. This is, this is it. We're, we're going to go fast. And so he's standing about, about 20 feet from the home plate, and he's humming that ball in there. And we go through the entire batting order on both, on both sides, and not one kid reaches first base. They're either striking out or they're popping up or they're fouling out, and, and, and he's mowing through these guys. And, and I'm thinking to myself, what's he doing? He's got, I can't hit this ball. He's just, I mean, they're, they're 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, and he's just blowing it right by. And he calls them over to him after he's gone through the batting order a couple times. And, and he says, what's, what, what's going on, guys? 
And they're, you're throwing it too fast. That ball was outside. And, and he said something that we don't always realize, especially as parents. Failure is a good thing. Failure is important. I believe that God uses trials, temptations, and hardships When those baseballs were coming in there a lot faster than these kids could, could react and respond, they failed. But they learned to deal with failure on a, on a, on a, a very microcosm of, of life. So oftentimes failure builds character so much more than success. So oftentimes failure and hardships and trials are so much more beneficial than success. I look back at the the life of the church. During the first 300 years of the church, the church grew exponentially. The day of Pentecost, there was approximately 100 to 120 believers. By the time of Paul's conversion, just a few short years later, there were literally hundreds of thousands of believers. By the time, by the time of the second century, when Tertullian and Ignatius and Polycarp were martyred, the church had spread as far as Great Britain, as far west as Great Britain, as far east as India, as far north as Europe, as far south as North Africa. The church was, was spreading like gangrene. It was spreading like wildfire. All the while... Christians were being burnt at the stake. They were being beheaded. They were being dragged through the streets. And, and they were being dragged through the streets and, and they were being beaten. They were being fed to wild beasts for their faith. The early church, through the fire of trials and temptation, were conformed to the image of Christ. There was no... There was no window of opportunity for mediocre Christianity. There was no, there was no way that, that, that you could live a haphazard Christian life. If you were going to be a believer in Christ, you were going to put your life on the line each and every day. And the failures and the hardship and the trials of that early church, history tells us that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Trials, hardships, and temptations are used by God to sharpen and refine us for His use. James chapter 1, verse 2 says this, For consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials and tribulation, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, then you would be complete, lacking in nothing. Notice what the psalmist said. Look at verse... Psalm 119, verses 71 and 72. The psalmist said, I was very angry when I was encountered with trials and tribulation. No, what does he say? He said, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Verse 72 says, your law is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. It is through the affliction, through the trials, through the temptations that, that the psalmist learned the value of God's Word. Now, let's go back to the original text. 
The scripture tells us, if you go to Matthew chapter 4, that Jesus was led up into the wilderness by the Spirit. So it was God Himself that led Jesus into the wilderness for the sole reason to be tempted. So, so, so whenever we're going through trials and tribulations and hardship, I want us to be very... I'm very hesitant to say, well, all of the bad things in my life are, are, are because of the devil. We give the devil too much, too much credit. He's only one being, can only be in one place at one time, and chances are he's got a lot more on his plate than to mess with me. Now, God, by his grace and by his mercy, may allow me to be tried, to be tempted, to be uh, undergo hardship for his purpose that he may grow me that He may strengthen me, that He may hone me into the believer that He desires me to be. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. Verse 3. Verse 2. And after He had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, He then became hungry. That goes without saying. Verse 3. And the tempter came and said to Him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered and said to Him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. Jesus has one weapon against the schemes of the enemy. After every temptation, the temptation to turn the bread, uh, the stones into bread, the temptation to cast himself off of the, the pinnacle of the temple, the temptation uh, to give him all of, the, uh, all of the, the, the fortunes of the world and all of the, the prestige. Every temptation, Jesus responded, it is written, it is written, it is written. Jesus' only weapon against the schemes of the enemy was the Word of God. If you look in Ephesians chapter 6, when it goes through the full armor of God, it talks about the helmet of salvation, it talks about the shield of faith, it talks about the breastplate of, the breastplate of righteousness, it talks about all of these different aspects. And all of them are defensive in nature. The only weapon that we have to combat the enemy is the Word of God. Of God. Psalm chapter 1 says this Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season. And as leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. <coughs> Joshua chapter 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but on it you shall meditate day and night. Be careful to observe all that is written within it. Then you'll find your way successful. Then you'll find your way prosperous and you'll have success. Psalm 119 verse 8 says, How shall a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. The only weapon that we have against the enemy, against the temptations, against the trials, is the word of God. So church, when we enter into trials, temptation, hardships, and you will, if you have not already, you will. If you have not already today, you will before the day is over. It will, be, it, 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 it will be at home whenever you get home and, and, and the, the, the house is a wreck and you're, you're, you're trying to, okay, this is my temptation. 
Whenever, whenever your children begin to smart off and talk back, you say, okay, this is my temptation. Whenever you are, you know what you ought to do, to him that know what he ought to do and do with it not, to him it is sin. And so tonight, whenever you're, you're battling that, that, that desire to sit in my recliner and finish watching the football game or get up and lead my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord Jesus, we are battling that temptation. Whenever, whenever we as husbands are given the opportunity to love our wives as Christ loved the church or love ourselves, we're given that we are faced with that temptation. It is inevitable. It is coming. When it comes, our response must be in, in light of God's Word. It must be. Therefore, what does that mean? For us... For Christians, for the church, that means we have to know God's Word. We cannot use a weapon that we don't, that we're not familiar with. If, if, if I haven't gotten a chance to tell you yet, it's only because I haven't spoken to you. But yesterday, my little boy shot his first deer. And, and, and I, I, I don't know who was happier, he Whenever, whenever he shot the deer, he started jumping up and down in the stand. I wanted to jump up and down in the stand with me. The only reason I didn't was because I was afraid the whole thing was going to come down. And 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 he was he was just ecstatic, and I was ecstatic, and we couldn't get out of the stand fast enough to 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 run down there. And we we got down there, and 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 we we you know we took pictures and 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 the, the whole nine yards. But it didn't just happen. You know, there was there was. Several years where where we would sit outside with milk jugs in the backyard, and we would we would prop the BB gun up, and we would I would teach him how to hold the gun tied up against his shoulder, and how to squeeze the trigger and not pull the trigger, and how to how to how to adjust the gun and hold it steady. And then we moved from the BB gun to the 22, and and we moved from the 22 to using a scope and finding out how to how how to, how to get his head so that he could see through the scope, and and all of this so that when the time came that he would be able to use the weapon that he had. God has given us an unbelievable weapon. He's given us the Word of God that is able to equip us to defeat any and every trial, hardship, and temptation that is brought before us. And what we do is we take our Bible, we bring it to church with us, we leave it in our car when we go home, or we may even carry it out of our car and set it on our bookshelf. It may even make it to our coffee table. Or make it to the end table by our bed. And we sit down in our recliners or sit down in our beds and we flip on the television and that Bible sits. And we browse through the internet and that Bible sits. Charles Spurgeon said there's enough dust on many of our Bibles to write the word damned. We are not familiar with our weapon. We know not God's Word. Whenever these kids on Wednesday night come, time after time after time again, week after week, and they, they receive award after award after award, how, how shameful is it that these children who were five, six, seven years old know more Scripture than we who are, tra- who are supposed to be training and teaching them? 
We've got, church, we've got to be familiar with our weapons. We've got to be familiar with the Word of God in order that we may be able to combat the enemy who is throwing and and hurling temptations and trials against us. Because what does Satan do? Look at the text. What does he do? Look at verse 6 of Matthew chapter 4. Satan, the enemy, said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will give His angels charge concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Satan says, Alright, you want to talk about the Bible? Let's talk about the Bible. And he throws a Bible verse out. But Jesus says, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. See, Satan is going to take the Word of God. He's going to twist it. He's going to pervert it. Whenever he showed up to Eve, you know what he did? He took the truth and he twisted it just a little. He said, God says, don't eat from this tree because as soon as you eat from the tree, you'll die. Satan says, you're not going to die. You know, God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because he knows the moment you eat from that tree, you'll be just like God. And was that a lie? Well, yeah, but... Was there truth in it? Absolutely. Would would Adam and Eve become like God in the sense that they would know both good and evil? Yes. Would they die immediately? No. They would would die a spiritual death. And from that moment they would be separated from God. And they would need a redeemer. They would need a reconciler to bring them back into fellowship with God. And so what Satan did is he took the truth and he twisted it. He perverted it. He, he, he made it just true enough that we would believe. And when we are unfamiliar with God's Word, when we do not know the truth of God, what He does, what the enemy does, is He takes the Word of God, He takes a little bit of truth, and He twists it. And He perverts it. And we hear pastors who stand up and say, the Word of God says, Knock and it shall be open. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. So therefore, the reason you have not is because you ask not. The reason you don't have a job that's paying you six figures, the reason you don't drive the car you want, the reason you don't have the house you want is because you're not asking of God. You don't have enough faith, let alone that the whole counsel of God's Word is completely contrary to that truth. And the whole counsel of God's Word says when you ask, you will receive in accordance with God's will. And the scripture says that that he will bless us with every spiritual blessing according to his will and according to what he desires for us, not according to what we desire according to our own flesh. We've got to know God's word, church. Satan twists the word of God, therefore we must know it and know it well. 2 Timothy chapter 2.15 says, Be diligent. This is Paul's encouragement to Timothy, a young man in the Lord, a young pastor. He says this, Be diligent to study, to show yourselves approved, a workman who handles rightly the Word of God, who needs not be ashamed. also want to point out, if you go back to the text, every one of the texts mentions... Jesus is fast. Even Mark, with only has two verses, it says that Jesus had fasted for 40 days and he was hungry. Satan attacked at the moment Jesus was the weakest. He didn't show up on day one 
Right after Jesus had been baptized, right after the Spirit had descended, right after, right after God had said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus was on a and he was on a spiritual mountaintop. I mean, you, there was this this great epiphanic moment, this this great victory. <coughs> no. Satan allows Jesus to be attacked by wild beasts, scripture says in Mark, to be Hungering for 40 days, my wife and I have gone, uh, uh, we miss a meal, and you think that, that, you know, the world is ending. You know, our, 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 our stomach starts, and, and you've been there, you know, you've been at work and you can't get away for lunch and your stomach starts grumbling. You come home and, and it's, you know, something's got to give. I, I've got to eat something now. You know, uh. When I was working with my dad, cutting trees and things like that, uh, I, he didn't stop for lunch. And so if, if I wanted to eat, I better bring you some peanut butter crackers or something like that. And when you miss a meal, your body lets you know. Jesus missed meals for 40 days. Man was hungry. He was fully human. And at that very moment, at that weakest point, the enemy attacked. First Peter chapter five verse eight says the enemy is like a roaring lion, roaming around seeking those who he will devour. It is at the time of our weakest that the enemy attacks, and he does so through our emotions when we feel alone. The enemy says, God's left you. When we're hurting, when we're grieving, the enemy says, no one understands you. No one understands the hurt and the pain you're going through. When we're desperate, at our weakest point, that's when the enemy attacks. Let me encourage you with this, church. Jesus responded, not with his emotion, but he responded every time with the truth of God's word. Our emotions are real. They, they are valid. And we do need to react and respond to our emotions. But we need to react and respond with the truth of God. When we are in that moment of weakness, when, when, when we are grieving, when we are hurting, whenever we are, are, are despondent and sad, and the truth of God is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so it's okay to have the emotion. It's okay to, to, to feel the way we do. What we must do is what we must respond, not based upon our emotion, but we must respond based upon God's truth. I know I feel alone. I know I feel hurt. I know I feel this way, but God's word says this. I know I feel that no one cares about me. I know I feel that, that, that whatever it may be, I know I feel that I'm a failure. 
But the Word of God says, greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. I know I feel like I am all alone, but the Scripture says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I know I feel this way, but God's Word says this. Our actions and our behavior must be based upon not how we feel, but what God's Word says. And that's where Christ was in the greatest Aspect, the greatest moment of his, of his temptation in the weakest moment of his life. He says, I feel hungry, but God's word says, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. I know, I feel this way, but God's word says this. At Christ's weakest moment, the enemy attacked. I want to point out one other passage of Scripture to us because to me, this is the culmination of the grace of God. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. The enemy is going to attack. We're going to undergo trial. We're going to undergo temptation. Look at verse 11. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. What an encouragement, church. The trial you're undergoing is but for a season. The temptation that you're going through is but for a short time. James says that, that this life is but a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. And in one sense, that saddens us. Because we see our children at two, three years old, and the next thing you know, they're graduating high school, and the next thing you know, they're, they're getting married, and the next thing you know, they're having killed children of their own, and the next thing you know, we're old. And in one sense, that saddens us. But on the other hand, it ought to bring joy to us that the pain of this world is but for a moment. The hardship of this world is but for a moment. In the end of Jesus' temptation... God appointed and anointed angels to care for Him. In that same sense, God has promised to care for us. In the midst of our temptation, in the midst of our trials, James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourself therefore unto God and resist the devil and he will flee from us. We are promised that God says, if you will obey me, if you will, if you will strive with me, if you will place your faith and trust in me, I will indeed comfort you. I will indeed be there for you. I will be your strength. I will be your rock. As Jesus weathered the storm of tribulation, the storm of trial, the storm of temptation, as He weathered it by being obedient, God responded by ministering to Him. Church, when trial, temptation, hardships, difficulty come into our life, let me encourage us, respond with obedience to God's Word, and according to His Word, He will respond by ministering to us. He will lift up. He will, he will bring people into your life to encourage you, to support you. He will bring financial blessings into your life. He will bring, bring spiritual blessings into your life. He will bring people, angels. The scripture says that some of us have entertained angels without even knowing it. That there will be blessings that God will minister to if we respond in obedience. 
The greatest blessing is that God sent Jesus to weather the storm of God's wrath that we might not. Amen. The greatest blessing that we could ever receive is the gift of the Gospel. The wrath of God was due you and I. God sent Jesus to weather the storm of God's wrath. And if we place our faith and trust in Him and in Him alone, we might have eternal life. This morning, maybe you are in the midst of trial. Maybe you're in the midst of temptation and your emotions are telling you one thing. But the truth of God is saying another. In just a few moments, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. As we do, I want to invite you to come. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. Maybe you need somebody to, to come and pray with you and you say, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time. I'm responding emotionally, but I know God's Word is true. I need you to pray for strength. If that's you, I'll invite you to come. Maybe you're here this morning and God is attacked. God is allowing you to be attacked. The enemy is attacking you at your weakest moment. And you need somebody to come alongside of you and help you and strengthen you and, and, and minister to you. I want to invite you to come. Maybe this morning, you're here. And you need God to weather the storm of sin on your behalf. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ. If that's you, I want you to come. Will you join me in prayer? Father, as we look at the temptation of Christ... Or may we be convicted of our failure in the world. May we be convicted of our failure to know the Word. And may we be spurred on to study, to show ourselves approved. Lord, there are those of us who are going through hardships, trials, and temptations. And we need to grab somebody next to us. And we need to pray. We need to seek the Lord. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come. Maybe you're at the weakest moment, physically, emotionally, and you need strength from the Lord. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come. Or maybe this morning you need to simply give your life to Christ. Stop striving to be good enough and trust in His righteousness. If that's you this morning, may you come. Maybe God is calling you to become a part of Redeemer Baptist Church. To join us as we lift up Jesus, live in obedience, and love the world. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart this morning, may you respond obediently. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.